I think we have a special guest coming into the show. I think it's oh hello, it's Mark. It's our boss. It's our boss. <laughs> but always welcome Please to the sit. show, uh, president of the museum, Mark Foster. Hi, Mark. How are you doing? Your jacket. What's that? You brought your jacket? Well, I wasn't sure. It's freezing in here. It's it freezing on this yeah, side. You got your jacket on. Yeah. <laughs> I'm here. I really started the show. Oh. I didn't get a chance to go. Um, but welcome. You know, it's your first guest yeah. appearance on our, our show. Yep. And you've listened to yes. all the episodes. Yeah. How do you think? Not, how, not all of not them. I have gotten through all of them. But most <laughs> they're of them, long. Yeah. They're long, yeah. but, you know, they're, they're oh, great no, stories. Oh, no, they're wonderful. I just need a quiet time to sit Could, down and listen <laughs> to them because I don't want to miss anything. Mm-hmm. So I've saved a few of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you know, the museum is now turning 10, mm-hmm. right? Turn How, 10, I yeah. mean, you've been here since the official opening. When so, were you here? When's course. your first day? April 15th, 2008. When the wow. building was still being built. The building wasn't up yet. It was, the footings were in and there was mm-hmm. some steel sticking out of the ground, but it mm-hmm. wasn't uh, built yet. It wasn't built yeah. in yet. Cool. Cool, I know, right? Just to see, you know, to see that progression. And, you know, I've seen pictures of it. It's just the growing of the museum and to what it is today. So, Did you get a chance to put your input in on how you want it to look and stuff yeah there was a lot of opportunities while we were doing it to uh you know where do we want outlets what do we want the Mm -hmm. final look to be um general lion and i were working you know it seemed like almost daily at times on finishes and things like that that was really important and there's a lot of things like you you look at the you know the beams overhead you know that have all that fire protective stuff on them they needed to be enclosed because if not, they would have been ugly. And General mm-hmm. Lyon wanted to be really clean and all that. So that's what that mm-hmm. corrugation is up mm-hmm. there. And, you know, little things like, you know, the fire suppression system, which is the water system, mm-hmm. you know, it was all kind of black galvanized. And we had to decide, hey, we're looking at it, go, what mm-hmm. should we do differently? And so we came up with, you know, painting things silver and, you know, and then the idea of putting a flagpole out there and then the color of the building mm-hmm. and the logos and all that stuff. So that was all done. That was stuff that uh, we were working on. You know, it seemed like at that time, because it was happening so quickly, it was almost daily. Daily, look, man, t- looking man. back at it and all that. Wow. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it was fun. Class. It was a really exciting time, you know, <laughs> picking artwork for the walls mm-hmm. and yeah. just everything. Mm-hmm. And, and General Lyon had his hand on all that. You know, he was, you know, he got to, mm-hmm. to pick and choose, and we were always presenting stuff. Mm-hmm. And kind of one of the funny stories was the, the color of the floor. So we know the, you know, the <laughs> floors and the walls are, are, <laughs> are, 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 are white. Yes. Right? Yeah. And so, you know, early on, it was like, okay, we want our color to be white. Mm -hmm. We want it to be clean. And that was something General Lyon was, uh, you know, really clear about. So the builder, they were doing a great job. They they would give us samples of everything. Mm -hmm. And they brought us different samples of white, which was kind of funny because white is just white. But so they brought these different samples. And in fact, they even painted squares in areas so that Mm -hmm. we could look at the different colors and there was all these names you know there's like navajo white and arctic white and surprisingly there's a lot of colors there's a lot of (laughs) colors of white right and everyone we looked at always had like well that's kind of got a little bit of a silver tint that's got Mm -hmm. a little bit of a blue tint that's got a gray tint they were always they just weren't tan or they just weren't exactly what we wanted and we kept saying don't you have something that's just like just just stark white and uh they finally came out and they painted a sample of this color both general line and i looked at it and we go that's exactly it what's that called and they said that one's called white <laughs> and so we Wait, ended up, yeah, what? yeah so they gave us everything other than white and uh and again they were doing a great job they were giving us all these options but the ultimate color was 
White. white. And so that's what we have out there is plain just white. White, yeah. I just wanted white. We try yeah. to keep that floors really clean. Yeah, I know. We that's, keep it. that's why yeah. in the comments that the guests yeah. give us all the time, mm. you have really white floors. Yeah. Really clean floors. Yes. Yeah, yeah, when we first, you know, the first year, the, the comments we always heard that walk in and people always, you know, because it's white mm -hmm. walk in, it looks pretty neat. And it was the white floors. The big windows, mm -hmm. all the windows that look out onto the flight line, because people sometimes think we're next to the airport, but obviously we're on the airport. Mm -hmm. And then the observation deck, because that just gives you such a different perspective than you have if you're, you know, mm -hmm. just standing on the mm -hmm. floor. You get up there and you're looking down on these big monster airplanes, mm -hmm. right? So, so it was those three things that really set the museum mm -hmm. apart from you know other facilities. Mm -hmm. And I didn't realize that until, like, you know, I went to other places. And I'm like, oh, that's what people talk about when mm -hmm. they talk about our museum. Yeah, exactly. It's, a, it's, di it's different, you know, yeah. when you see every other museum. Yeah. yeah. And every museum has their own personality. But I think, yeah. you know, we stand out, I yeah. think, from the rest. Yeah. yeah. So it's those three items. And then the, the biggest thing, you know, just without any doubt and no close second is the, uh, is the docents, the volunteers. Mm -hmm. Because they're the people who really bring the place to life. You know, without them, you walk in, it's just kind of this hangar with airplanes in it, and there's nothing, you know, but to have them tell their stories and share their experiences and all that, and that's what really, you mm -hmm. know, pushed it over the top. Makes it, yeah, makes, yeah. You, makes the experience we 100 some times. some amazing guys. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I yeah. agree. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's sad that... <clears throat> Most of them are gone. Yeah, you know, over the years, and you know, it's tough to think about, but over the years, uh, you know, every year we lose some because they're mm -hmm. of that age. You know, it's mm -hmm. the greatest generation. And, you know, these guys, when they started with us, they were in their, you know, early to mid-80s, and now they're in their mid-90s. Mm -hmm. And uh, and so, you know, as time marches on, we're going to lose more and more of them. But the, the positive side is that we have some of the younger volunteers mm -hmm. and when i say younger sometimes they're they're 70s they're and 80s <laughs> but they're they're hanging out with the with the world war ii guys and they're getting their stories and and you know being part of the doing part of the tours and everything and so i think there's a little bit of continuity as we move forward and then you know we mm -hmm. still have you know, a lot of that spirit of the greatest generation you know lived on during you know the you know, the Korean Air War time yeah. and some of our veterans from the Korean Air War who are maybe too young to be in World War II, but mm -hmm. they're right there and yep. they're, they're almost that same generation. And so we've got a period of time with that. And then you can still move on. The World War II guys who flew and fought and maintained airplanes and all that in World War II maybe flew in Korea, but they may have finished their career, still a flying career, which is surprising, in Vietnam. I had a couple of personal friends who flew as fighter pilots in World War II and ultimately in Vietnam flew as observation pilots, wow. you know, as a high-ranking observation pilot and coincidentally like the L-19, the yeah. O-1 bird dog. Yeah. Um, and so there's that, again, that continuity because we have the Vietnam veterans who are our volunteer docents and those guys, um, you know, they're, they're still here and, uh, and they spent a lot of time with the World War II guys. So we still can tell that story and that's mm -hmm. what we ultimately want to do because, mm -hmm. you know, it's going to, outlive all of us if we do it right you yeah. know, it'll be it'll be here to tell that story mm -hmm. and it may not be a first-hand account but it would be pretty darn close yeah. yeah yeah um a lot of our listeners know who you are and of course you have really high followers on instagram but mm -hmm. you don't really you don't really express you know your life before this so like can you mm -hmm. tell our followers how you got into like aviation and warbirds and all that well sure if they want to know um, of course <laughs> you know it's kind of funny because the focus is really on the museum here but uh just do you want the 
one minute version or do you want the the long version the okay. long version well we don't have time for the long version but we'll we'll it's do it yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no 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 it's, it's quite simple so um in a nutshell as quickly as i can you know start off like a lot of kids you know in junior high and high school i liked mechanical things motorcycles and you know and cars and things like that and so and it, i was even racing on the motorcycle side a little bit uh, just amateur kind of stuff and um had a friend in, in high school junior high and high school mostly high school who uh was involved in aviation and uh, he was always telling me you got to come out to the, the airport which was an airport in chino and say you know come on out and see this place and i thought okay what do you do with airplanes you know it seemed neat to me but it seemed kind of untouchable it didn't seem like you know i couldn't get an airplane i couldn't keep one at my house and i didn't know what it meant you know i could put a motorcycle in the garage but i couldn't do anything other than that so um i i was working for a a race car shop in Baldwin Park, a guy named Earl Williams, Williams Racecraft, and uh, I was uh, helping him just, you know, grinding stuff and taking apart 56 Chevys and doing things like that, and um, I had a day off. He, he was going to close the shop that day for whatever reason. He had a personal thing to do, and it was a very small shop. He said, so, yeah, I can't come in today. How about tomorrow? I said, great. So I hopped on my motorcycle, and I had a street, a street legal bike, and I rode from Glendora, where I grew up, out to Chino, and... Uh, and to visit my friend who kept telling me to come check the place out. And I walked in there and this was uh, June of 1986. And so I walked in and there was one hangar. And this is uh, the other museum that were very good friends of Lion Air Museum called Plains of Fame. And I walked in there and uh, they had just one hangar at the time. Now they got, I don't know, seven or eight. And there's this Corsair in the front of the hangar. And I just didn't realize how big those things were. I saw them on television. I grew up watching Bob Bob Black Sheep in the 70s, you know, and, and I just couldn't believe how big the thing was. And I was like, wow, this thing's really cool. And, and then out in the yard, they had an old static, you know, non-flying display of some jets. And one of them was an F-86 Sabre jet. And I saw that and I just, wow, these are really cool. So I, by the end of that day, I rode my motorcycle home. And, you know, this is in the 80s, so we didn't have the Internet and, and all that. And in our house, we just... And I, there was an encyclopedia, and I just went through that and tried to find everything I could about airplanes, and I just got hooked, like, really, really fast. So, so the cars and motorcycles slowly started getting set aside because now I was pursuing airplanes. And uh, I, you know, went through, you know, college time, did uh, airframe power plant license you know so i became a faa mechanic um and that was mainly because i wanted to hang out with old warbirds world war ii airplanes and be able to work on them and all that kind of stuff i thought that was important so worked my way through that um then i went to work for um steve hinton's fighter rebuilders which is a famous aircraft restoration facility and you know we were restoring you know p-51 mustangs and sky raiders and you know, all sorts still exists yeah, it still exists. Yeah, and so um, so I was with that uh, with with Steve and his clan, which was a wonderful time. I mean, that was you know it was just a great thing to get to do, and I did that for. There's a little bit of a blur and some overlap, but um, about nine ish years, and then I think it was just under ten years, and then um, I started seeing the the desire. I, let me back up a little bit. While I was doing that, I was I started volunteering my time to help coordinate some of the airplanes going to air shows for the for the, the planes of fame air museum that was out there uh, it was co-located with fighter rebuilders and uh, so i you know i bought a computer i learned how to use a computer taught myself how to type and you just did all that kind of stuff and kind of started getting more in the management side of things and so fast forward now to to that nine-ish years at uh, at fighter rebuilders and so i went to steve you know my then boss and said you know hey this museum here needs a lot of 
help, you know, to maybe get to the next level. And there was, you know, it was all kind of run by volunteers and there wasn't really any full staff. So I somehow convinced him that was the right thing to do. And I started doing that. And uh, I, at first it was funny, it was only a budget to do it for four days a week. So I actually worked one day in fighter builders and four days at, at their air museum. And it was just whatever it took. And it was like minimal money. It was just whatever it took to make it work, you know, was, and um, as time went on, um, did more and more of that, started seeing the the results. Mm -hmm. And so you know, ultimately ended up being, you know, I was like vice president and general manager of Plains of Fame Air Museum. Steve Hinton was the president. Mm -hmm. And um, and I, I like to say I had the best job in the world when that was going on. I tell everybody, <laughs> and, and there's there's more to it. I had the best job in the world until I came here. And now I have the best job in the world. So <laughs> so um, so I guess it's all, you know, perception. But uh, but anyway, so I was there. I was VP there at at Plains of Fame Air Museum and and meanwhile and I guess I should add this because I think people don't care about everything I just said except for probably the flying side because <laughs> the flying side is what everybody's all excited about right so um, somehow I managed to convince enough people that I was you know capable of flying airplanes around and and so opportunities came up and I got to fly different airplanes and you know I would work on airplanes in the evening in exchange for flight time you know to get to fly the airplanes and and you know started with a uh, a Luscom, 1946 little Luscom, uh, that was one. I just got my license and just assessing it like a lot of people did and then, then got in the Luscom tail dragger, which is a really good trainer for, for these type of airplanes. You know, tail draggers with the, the wheel in the back, wheel, conventional yes. they call that, not the training wheel that's the nose gear. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and no offense to all of our tricycle Is that what gear. they call that? Is that what? So you, that's, <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just being funny. And no offense to our tricycle gear friends. Um <laughs> But anyway, uh, so I you know, flew the Luscom. I flew it for, you know, 175 hours or something. And then um, I, I had a um, – I, I had not – by then I had about 300 hours, and I had an airline pilot friend, a guy named Ray Diekman, and, um, and he, I guess for whatever reason, he approached me one day and said, hey, I want you to start reading the manual about my T6. And I thought, oh, great, he wants me to read the maintenance manual and help him work on it, which I wasn't all that excited about doing because, you know, I was doing that full-time anyway at the time. And – and uh, no, he said, no, no, the flight manual. I want to check you out my airplane. I said, okay, great. So about 300 hours, I soloed his T-6 Texan World War II Advanced Trainer. We have one here at Lion Air mm -hmm. Museum, of course. And uh, so I was, you know, 23, 24. I think I just turned 24. And, uh, you know, I was taking it to air shows and, and all that. You know, and Ray was really kind to do that. He had a Vampire Jet, which is a, a British, you know, de Havilland, you know, Vampire Jet. And... Uh, um, so the two of us would go to air shows. He'd take the jet, and I'd take the, you know, his T6. And so that was kind of a fun thing to get to do for a couple of years. And, uh, and so I was building flight time. I think I had about 350 hours. So I had about 50 hours in the T6. And, uh, and I looked around, and Planes of Fame always had a, a kind of an unwritten rule. And you know, correct me out in the world if, if I'm wrong. But it was always kind of like, you know, you need to have about 500 hours before you get to fly an airplane. And it, that's a Planes of Fame airplane. And that's what I wanted to do. And so I thought, well, I need to get about another 150 hours. How can I do that? And, I, you know, I, was, I didn't have a lot of money or anything in flight time. I didn't own an airplane, so it was kind of a tough thing to do. And um, one of Ray Diekman's friends, a guy named Don Lee, um, had a, a Piper Cub. And so he, he said, hey, you know, just as long as you maintain the airplane, put as many hours on it as you want. I thought, wow, that's a pretty cool little offer. So over about six months, I put it 
pretty close to 150 hours on it. it took me about six mm-hmm. months so which was a lot because I had a full-time job yeah. and you know I had a son in school and all this stuff going on but what I would do is on the on the days I could I'd get up and be at the airport when it was still dark and I'd pull the airplane out and the airplane had no electrical system in it and so it had to be propped you know hand propped oh. to start it and uh, and I'd tie it to the front of my truck you know the tail of the front of my truck and start it you know just as the sun was coming up and strap into it and I remember it being pretty cold sometimes you know and having a flight suit and a leather jacket and Nomex gloves and <clears throat> and a little handheld radio and I'd just go out and fly until you know 7:45, put the airplane away and then by 8 a.m be over at you know at that time fighter mm-hmm. rebuilder so I could you know um go to work and uh, so I did that. So thanks, thanks to Don Lee, who was a World War II uh, B-17 air crew member, by the way. Wow. Uh, um, so he uh, uh, and a local guy here. Um, but so thanks to him, I was able to build that flight time into about 500 hours. And uh, and then somebody at one point said, "Oh no, there's no rule." But but anyway, <laughs> um, <laughs> but so I got checked out in the in the Planes of Fame T-6. And so to fly a T-6, you're flying at Planes of Fame. It's one of the you know world-renowned aviation museums, the best of the best kind of place. And mm-hmm. And so now I'm flying a, you know, a kind of heavier, you know, warbird at Planes of Fame. So I thought I'd really arrived. I thought that was, you know, that was pretty much a goal. Um, so anyway, I was doing that. Now, if you want to know, um, if you back up to 1987, May of 1987, I started there in June of 86, but I had not gone for a ride in an airplane. I'd been in airliners as a kid, but I had not been in any private small airplanes. Um, opportunity came uh, to fly in Steve Hinton's P-51 Mustang with a guy named Brian Morton, who was an American Airlines pilot. And um, it was my first small airplane ride. So my first, it wasn't a Piper, it wasn't a Cessna, it was P-51. It was a P-51 Mustang. So. The Cadillac of the sky yeah, is what Cadillac, they call it. Yeah, so... Um, yeah. Oh, that's right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so anyway... Um, I, you know, that was my first ride in that airplane, and uh, this is kind of a neat story, and it's not about me, but it's just because I'm sentimental and I just love this kind of stuff. I'm a nerd for it. Um, I didn't fly in that Mustang for another 10 years. I didn't go for a ride in it. I didn't go anywhere. I just rode in it that one time. I flew in the back of other Mustangs, but I didn't fly in that one. And then um, the last day of 1997, so 10 years later, um, New Year's Eve, 97, Steve Hinton let me borrow his P-51 to do my first solo, P-51 solo. So so it was 10 years later, it was that same P-51. And so, you know, at that moment when I was taxiing out, I'd only been in that airplane one other time, and that was my first ever small airplane ride. And now now I'm going, you know, with obviously with flight time now, I got 700 hours of flight time by then or whatever, and, and I'm taxiing out mm-hmm. to take off in Steve's P-51 Mustang. So that's that wee willy, too. You can see it all over the Internet. Oh, but, wow. Yeah, yeah. So it's that the one that was in our museum the one, yes, for the air show. For the air show, at, yes. At the, um, the Huntington Beach Great Pacific Air Show. Um, so anyway, the, that's just little for that all the people. Fun, that's a nice story, though. People out there in Warbird world yes. who who like that kind of stuff, mm-hmm. you know, I I appreciate it. You know, even mm-hmm. though I got to live it, I appreciate it as if I was just watching somebody else do it too, because it's just such a cool little neat story. And you know, I've been very you know blessed to be able to do that kind of stuff. So. Mm-hmm. You say you have the greatest job, but I think we say we have the greatest job. Yes. <laughs> well, you guys actually do. Your job's pretty much almost as cool as mine. Yeah. <laughs> I see you guys every day. It looks like you're having a ball, everything you do. We do. Yeah. We do. Yeah. yeah. It's always fun. Yeah. And that's something, you know, um, you know, I see and appreciate because, you know, I've over the years, even though I feel like I'm really young, you know, I'm, I guess I'm, you know, middle-aged now. And <clears throat> I've worked with a lot of different people and I've, you know, watched 
people work for other people. And there's very few that I've seen many years that I say, hey, that's the what I call like the A team. That's the the best. Those people, you know, are dedicated and and they're here and they understand the mission. And that's putting it back on you. That's you too. So Marcus and no. Jane, right here. Oh, but, you got that yeah, on yeah, paper. Yeah, yeah, we got, we got it, we got it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. audio recording. Yeah, yeah. So you picked us. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's true. Well, you found us. Yes. And then I found you, right? Yeah. So that's mm-hmm. how that works. So, so anyway, um, that's what makes this place great. I, you know, it's uh, it's the people. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a great it's a great organization. Um, it's a great venue. Um, and of course, you know, the, the assets we have here, you know, the, the planes and the, and all that stuff is, is, is great too, but the people really push it over the top. What would be a plane that you said, like, like, what was it? What would it be like a plane that you've always wanted to fly that you finally got to fly? Which one, what plane would that be? Well, the P-51 was the goal. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, um, you know, just growing up looking at that, I always thought, you know, if I could only fly one. And, and I thought about this. I, mean, I went to bed every night thinking about this for a long time. But if I could only fly one and I could only fly it once, it'd have to be the P-51 because it's the, you know, it's the, the most recognized, you know, World War II fighter, right? Mm-hmm. It's the, or the most recognized fighter of all mm-hmm. time, past and present, I think, you know. And, and so it was a P-51. It doesn't mean it was my favorite. It was mm-hmm. just the one that I had to do, yes. you know. And so I'd say the P-51. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. There's others I like, mm-hmm. and they each have their own neat thing neat about thing, it. Yeah. But, but that was the one, and I, I'm not gonna say it's my favorite though. <laughs> yeah. You won't, make, you won't, you won't have a favorite plane. You um, like a lot, or you have? Yeah, a you know. Yeah, yeah, you know, it's funny because people always ask that, and you know, and there's always those funny answers like, "Well, the one you're flying at that moment," which is actually a pretty good answer. Um, but each one has something different, and I'm not, I'm not like some. I mentioned the name Steve Hinton a few yeah. times, right? Yeah. I mean, that guy's flown all of them. Yeah. You mm-hmm. know, and so I'm not anywhere in that, invi- you know, in that caliber you know i'm just not but but i've gotten to do some really neat things and um and i've learned a little bit about each airplane that i think makes that airplane special and you know like take a you know an sbd dauntless dive bomber you know that's you know for one there's only there's they're they're incredibly rare Mm -hmm. and when you think of the battle of midway what a what a great thing and and i've and i've been able to to fly one and take people who sat in them in the gunner position back in World War II, and now they're in it again, and I'm taking them flying. I mean, that, what, you know, what a great thing to do. And plus, it's super easy airplane to fly. I mean, it's just the most stable, easy to land, oh, yeah, easy yeah. to taxi, uh-huh. even though it's a big tail dragger airplane. It's <laughs> it's just like a big old baby buggy, and it's it's just so well <laughs> so well designed for that. So so that has its there's a certain time mm-hmm. when that's the one you want to fly, mm-hmm. right? And then P-51 is the Cadillac yeah, of the sky, yeah. right? It's, it's you know, you taxi, it's got several tailwheel, it's really easy, mm-hmm. it, it's it got that great sound to it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when you sit in it, it's I, I guess it's kind of the difference between like, you know, like a Porsche and a pickup truck. You know, one of the airplanes would be, and I'll tell you which one that is, is like the pickup truck, and, and then the Mustang is more like the Porsche, where it's all well thought out. Not to say it's like a German thing, because I know that was the, you know the adversary back then but uh you know the throttles right where it should be the way you sit everything about it, it's just super comfortable every time you get in you go oh yeah this is this is built right um and now let's go to the pickup truck which i love as well is the corsair the corsair is just you sit in it it's an awkward where everything is even mm-hmm. where the pilot sits the pilot sits 
behind the center of gravity, pretty far behind the center of gravity. The wing is forward, so if you're sitting in the cockpit and you look down, you actually look at the ground, whereas in a P-51, you're looking at the top of the wing. You know, Never So you're way far that. back. Mm-hmm. The nose is really long. You know, it's got that big 13-foot, one-inch propeller or whatever the, it is out, out really far away from you. The engine's just like forever out there. Um, it's awkward to taxi. You know, it's the, It doesn't have steerable tailwheel. It's a tailwheel's free to caster or locked, so it's just lock or unlock. So you really have to, you know, of course, use full rudder, and then you're using intermittent brake, you know, mm-hmm. to, to steer it on the ground. And, and you start going one way, you're automatically already going the other way to arrest the swerve you got going. So you have to S-turn these because you can't see forward at all. Yeah. I mean, there could be a whole airplane in front of you, and you're not going to see it. That's how blind it is looking mm-hmm. forward. And yeah, so you have to um, do S-turns. And, you know, in a Mustang, you do S-turns, and it's got a steerable tailwheel, and it's kind of easy to do. And um, in the Corsair, if you do S-turns and you, you know, look down for a second to change a radio frequency as you're taxiing out or something, you look up and you're in the dirt. I mean, <laughs> now, that's not from experience. We've never had that happen, but I could see how it could. I mean, it, it takes a lot more attention to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's awkward. It's like that big truck, like I mentioned. But the controls on it are feather light, mm-hmm. lighter than the Mustang. You know, the Mustang's controls are a little heavier. And anybody out there in radio land or whatever this is, I uh, podcast land, (laughs) who knows better who flies both. Hey, this is just my opinion here. But, uh, you know, the Corsair has just incredibly light controls on it. And you take off, and it's just like fingering that you know mm-hmm. just it's just so light mm-hmm. and the mustang's a little a little heavier yeah. you know it's nice but mm-hmm. it's just a little heavier so so there you go and um you know i like you know the army air corps the air force history of the mustangs escorting b-17s in world war ii is just an unbelievable story and so that aspect is really neat to me but then i also think of those naval aviators flying off aircraft carriers and islands in the pacific during world war ii you know landing on little islands on you know, PSP perforated steel plank, uh, uh, steel matting that they put out on the ground. They land out there, and there's palm trees everywhere, and they're just out in the middle of the Pacific somewhere. You know, that's a pretty neat story as well. So, um, so anyway, I like them all. But you know, the one, the one that I like the most is that old L19 oh, one bird dog. You gotta plug that in. Yeah, yeah. 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 just about to ask yeah. about that. Our yeah. Dog. yeah, 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 yeah. That that is, um, and, and the reason, okay, for you know, it's it's always nice when it's your own little airplane, right? Yeah. Uh, which is you know my personal airplane, and um, it, you know it's the type of airplane you just put a headset on. You know, it's not a helmet and a flight suit. You know, even though that you could, I guess, you, but it, you can take somebody that's dual controlled, they can fly, it's got great visibility out of it, it's got super interesting history, you know, the guys who were flying those in Korea and Vietnam, what they were doing, and mm-hmm. uh, as forward air controller, air, uh, you know, pilots, and, and so that's a wonderful airplane, mm-hmm. too. Well, you and, built that. Yeah. yeah so, because yeah. that was, when you, you when you got that airplane, right, it was yeah. in pieces? Yeah, yeah, so I got that airplane, um, it's funny, I'm funny about dates, but it was June 22nd, uh, 2003, mm-hmm. and <clears throat> Um, you know, it took me six and a half years to restore it. And uh, uh, it was a pile of parts when I got it. I mean, literally, it was just a pile of parts. And it was pretty bashed in, too. It had had a little landing incident, um, and it bent a lot of metal on it. So, you know, the thing had to you know, kind of go into a fixture and, you know, had to replace a lot of stuff in it and skins and all that. And then we just went through the whole airplane six and a half years later. And I had, um, for the most part, you know, a lot of friends support with, you know, parts and resources, but uh, I did, you know, 99% of the work myself with the exception of the paint. And the paint was uh, a good friend of mine, Corey O'Brien, who uh, 
volunteered his time to help me and and he did the actual i laid out markings and he painted and then he painted the teeth on it and all that kind of stuff took the cowling home and did that mm -hmm. you know to sit you know sitting in his living room or something at night you know painted that the teeth on there and um you know that's six and a half years later you know i got an airplane to fly and so it does mean something to mm -hmm. me as well but my favorite thing about it is really just taking people and sharing the experience mm -hmm. with others and i've taken you know hundreds of people flying in it probably and or at least mm -hmm. it seems like that and mm -hmm. We both got. We both. We both yeah. flew yeah. on yeah. that. Yes. Yeah. And that was it. The coolest it airplane so you've cool. ever ridden. It's cool. So yeah. awesome. Yeah. It's observations. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. There you go. So. Yeah. I was. It's. It's, it's an amazing. Ride. I mean, that, that was my first small airplane ride at all. So Scary. it was. No. Oh, there you go. So. Like me, metal and. Yeah. yeah. Air, like, so okay. maybe ten years from now you'll be soloing it, right? Like, yeah. You know, same thing with the Mustang. First small airplane ride, and then you know, next mm -hmm. thing you know, you're flying it. But. Uh, but anyway, so you ask what what are the favorites? You know, they're all they're all super neat. Mm -hmm. You know, but I, I mentioned my top, and it's probably the reason I mentioned those tops is because those are pretty much the the highlights of my flying with those airplanes right there. And you know, I've gotten you know times in B twenty five and Piper Cubs and all sorts of other airplanes, but that those are the the highlights I think right, right there. Mm -hmm. We're very happy that you're you're the pilot for us for air oh. shows. Oh. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Cool. yeah, well, pretty one cool. of them, you know, we've got it, obviously, you know, the yeah. guys like Randy Sherman and Matt Walker, who, you know, we're flying our Amazing. stuff, and, Amazing you know, they time. do a great job and, and all that, and, you know, we're, we're a flying museum, but we don't, we're not actively flying, you know, every week like some museums, mm -hmm. um, and, you know, I think we find the right match or the right mix between what we're doing with the school kids coming in, you know, almost every week, and our the corporate events we do here and all the other educational stuff and then flying and i think we've kind of got that that balance right now and mm -hmm. you know obviously flying more sometimes we always have better. something going on yes. yeah we always so have something going on yeah. Yeah. yeah so we won't hold you yeah. too much i know you, you gotta we get wanted that. to know kind of what your goal or what do you see for us here in the yeah because i know we've been here it's now 10 years yeah so like now what do we look forward for now to the next yeah. 10 years you know what do you what do you want to see <laughs> Yeah. A P-51. <laughs> oh, <laughs> there you go. Yeah. <laughs> Is there anybody out there listening? No, but uh, no. Uh, yeah, of course, a P-51 would be a great addition. But, uh, you know, we've got airplanes that, you know, we could utilize more as well. You know, so that's, you know, looking at the B-25 right now. The B-25 has been kind of a back burner airplane, and, and we want to obviously bring that to the, to the front and, and fly that a bit and still while maintaining the C-47 and, you know, and the T-6, you know, the T-6 is, you know, a great airplane and all that. So, so, um, so that's probably our, our, you know, what's next, right? Is get the B-25 kind of, you know, get it uh, awakened mm -hmm. and, and get it flying. And, you know, I'm sure Matt and Randy and, you know, others, was, and it's one of my favorites actually in the hangar as well. I just have always loved B-25s mm -hmm. and so. Sound of yeah, the makes. Yeah. Great, great airplane, yeah. great history. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, you know, we've got one of our volunteers, um, you know, Bud Carter, who, yeah. who flew them. Yes. And, you know, I know he'll be all excited to see that thing going again. And, mm -hmm. and so, um, so that's, that's the smaller next, right? Yeah. But yeah. then there's the bigger, you know, yeah. and I think the, the more, you know, technology is something that, uh, you know, we'll be able to take more and more advantage of as time goes on and, and make the visitor experience, you know, more immersive. And um, I, I think that's that's out there. Uh, we, we've got a, you know, great curator and Jeff Erickson, you know, what, what he's doing with, 
you know, I, I mean, the, the, I call it kind of historical scholarship, and I don't even know if that's a real legitimate phrase or not, but it always fills in for me is when, when you're telling the story and you're telling it accurately, and, and he is doing that, you know, through the displays that he's been adding, you know, the different display cases and, you know, the, the, the you know, Bill Lindbergh doing the models and, yes. and all that kind of stuff that uh, is really helping tell the story, and we have so much further to go with that. So yes, and we're building yeah. more, I think, because yeah, yeah. we just had the new cases that yeah, are being installed yeah, upstairs. Yeah. So, so that's that's an important thing. Um, you know, we're doing you know more you know specific uh, events. You know, and some of them, you know, we've we, we have other things, and we're trying to do some cross promotion, so to speak, so that we get new people yeah. engaged in these older stories yeah. right and so we found you know the automotive world there was a lot of people i call them kind of gearheads who love all this stuff but they're not very acquainted with it they know what a b17 is but they didn't know there's one in orange county and they didn't know they could come see it and learn about it and all that and so some of these car events we do is bringing a lot more and i think that's part of the reason why our attendance is growing yeah, is because definitely. you know the events you guys are coordinating and putting on are you know, it's translating into more people seeing the museum, and and that's what we want to continue to do. You know, we've had, you know, a, a, you know, I don't know, well over a hundred thousand people, of course, come through the museum, and uh, you know, we're working on our first million, mm-hmm. and and we'll get there. We'll, we'll, get there. we'll have a million people come <laughs> through this museum. Yeah. Put that on, that's, I plan to be there that day. Oh yeah, <laughs> me too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hopefully next year. I'm just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you so yes, much. Thanks. Oh, well, thanks.